You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight, we're going to continue... Our weird way of circuitously not reviewing every episode of Doctor Who in existence. Instead, we're going to continue looking at the oddities, the strange bits, and the miscellaneous. With tonight being the movie Doctor Who and the Daleks. What other oddities if we look? There's Schalke. Yeah, and the, all the animated. We, well, I think the animated. Well, the, the animated are real ones, aren't they? The, I mean, I, sort of. Me, you know what I mean? We could we could just start at an unearthly child, and we could work our way through. But we don't. We we always kind of pick the the one off and the the different uh, the different because it's too big of a task to do them all. So by the time they finished animating all of the existing Doctor Who black and white stories because that's probably what they're going to do they're just going to delete the ones they've got and replace them with animations i think that's the next thing on the line but anyway um which you know will be great on blu-ray we <laughs> but tonight it's doctor who and the daleks with peter cushing as doctor who it's just another quiet evening at the home of doctor who and his two granddaughters susan and barbara Barbara's young man, Ian Chesterton, is coming to call on her this evening. It may be a quiet evening at home reading books and comics, but it's also a momentous evening. Just sitting in one of the chairs is the last piece of equipment that Doctor Who needs to complete years of his life's work, TARDIS, a time and space machine that he has built, curiously in the shape of a London police public call box. Since Ian who is a bit of a klutz, almost sits on that piece of equipment. Doctor Who decides maybe tonight he should complete TARDIS. He shows Chesterton his fabulous machine, but klutzman Ian manages to launch them into space and time without a clue to their destination. They find themselves on a burnt-out planet in a petrified forest. Soon they discover a fabulous city, which Doctor Who and his precocious granddaughter Susan want to explore. Ian is scared and wants to go home. Doctor Who fakes that the fluid link is broken, forcing them to investigate the city for needed mercury to replace the fluid in said fluid link. But not before there's a mysterious knock at TARDIS's door. Outside they find no one but a mysterious box filled with chemicals. Doctor Who decides they have time to investigate that later and leaves the box inside TARDIS. In the city, they are captured by creatures enclosed in metal machines. These creatures are called Daleks. They are the descendants of the survivors of the war that destroyed the planet. They live in their city, encased in their machines, to protect them from the radiation outside. Also outside are their ancient enemies, the Thals, horribly mutated creatures that wander the barren land. In their cell, the gang are getting ill, and Doctor Who realizes that they have radiation sickness. The outside environment has been lethally radioactive and is killing them. He realizes that the box must have been radiation medicine given to them by the Thals. The Daleks realize that if they could get that medicine, they could leave their machines and their city. They force Susan the only one well enough, to return to TARDIS and get the medicine. The Daleks plan to take the medicine and let the travelers die. It seems the Daleks may not be entirely nice guys. Along the way, Susan encounters the Thals, beautiful, kindly, golden people who not only help her, but also give her even more medicine, just in case the Daleks don't hand over the first batch to her family and friends. The Daleks immediately discover the extra drugs, but A decide to let Susan give them to the gang anyway, curing them from this plot complication. 
The Daleks also have Susan write a nice letter to the Thals, asking them over for afternoon tea. It is, of course, a trap, because, as previously mentioned, the Daleks aren't entirely nice guys. The Travelers escape and warn the Thals, just in the nick of time, and they all escape the city. Problem solved, it's time to return to TARDIS and go home. Just one problem. Doctor Who left the fluid link back with the Daleks. In the city, the Daleks begin to test the medicine. It turns out the medicine kills them, presumably because they now rely on the radiation. They decide to explode a massive neutronic bomb and completely irradiate the planet, killing all the Thals and finally winning that war. The Thals are pacifists and will not fight the Daleks, but Doctor Who, desperate to get back that fluid link, makes the leader of the Thals mad enough to beat up Ian. Having shown him that he can get mad and fight, it's easy to convince the Thals to attack the Dalek city. While Ian, Barbara, and a team of Thals travel around the city through a swamp of death, Doctor Who, Susan, and the remaining Thals use mirrors to attack the front of the city, both groups arriving just in time to battle the Daleks and stop the bomb. With a fluid link returned, Doctor Who, Barbara, Susan, and Ian bid a tearful farewell to the Thals and return to Earth just in time for the Roman legions to attack them. The end. Well, so have you seen this movie before? Yes. You have, okay. I wasn't sure whether this was like a complete uh, shocker or whether uh, this, was, uh, this was something you were revisiting. No, I've seen, I've seen both the films okay. probably only once. I may, I may have seen this twice before, but I doubt having voluntarily chosen to rewatch it <laughs> so um what, what what are your thoughts what are your first thoughts well my my the, my my overall take on this is that it's it's a it's a plot point by plot point remake of the daleks the second serial by terry nation from the show mm-hmm. which they basically grabbed and converted wholesale into a widescreen colour cinematic release, cutting it down from what must be close to three hours to mm-hmm. 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. And now here's, the th- here's the thing about the Daleks. I The Daleks was not the first Dalek serial I ever watched, probably in common with a lot of Doctor Who fans of my age and younger which at my age is probably most of us now. Um, <laughs> it's but, probably true with most Doctor Who fans, since they didn't repeat Yes, them, I so. mean, the, the, those, those who grew up with it will obviously... The, this will have been the, the serial which you see the Daleks for the first time. And in my mind, this is, this is what has kind of created the, 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 the fascination with the, the Daleks, because... Um, we know, you know, the the orthodox Doctor Who history is that the the first serial was a bit of a flop, but when Verity Lambert defied Sidney Newman by bringing in these new bug-eyed monsters, suddenly the the nation was captivated by these these kind of curious machines, and so when and this is only a couple of years later they make a cinematic release, a, a you know, a film version of Doctor Who. They decide that the the thing that they must keep from the show, and we'll come back to the things they do and don't keep, but you know, the key thing, it goes in the title, is the Daleks. Because right. it's Dalek Mania, right? Right. And I you know, growing up in the in the eighties, I remember in my primary school, everyone going on about Daleks and doing Dalek voices and Dalek actions and so you know that was that well, was you grew up with Nick Briggs. Thing. <laughs> yes, he was at my school. Yeah, no. Right, <laughs> he was at all of our schools. He was at yeah, all of our schools. Everyone. But the the I mean the the thing is that when you go back and look at this serial, and I I guess you carry some high, high or this story I should say because it's the same story we're looking at in the film. You carry some high expectations um, in in terms of the Dalek Daleks with it. And in my mind, it's still not a very good Dalek story. The, there are 
some things that were kind of quickly ditched in the Dalek mythos. There were some things that were later on added in, and I think about Genesis of the Daleks, where it's pretty universally highly regarded. And mm. the, the kind of origin story is all about how the, the, the metal casing they're in, the mutated forms are in, is precisely to sustain them because of the radiation, whereas they seem to be wanting radiation drugs in this, and that's all a bit weird. Um, but the, the, the kind of things that always didn't jive with me, but obviously make it into the film and, and, and seem to be popular... Are the are the let's get the let's get the tiny Dalek mutant creature out of the casing, which is quite a sinister thing, and let's fit the giant human man inside the casing, and then somehow somehow he's he's in a position within the casing where the however the the eye stalk works feeds into. His, he he can line up his eye basically with some sort of screen you know it's mm. no direct input to an optic nerve or whatever and his vocal cords are for whatever reason mashed up into sounding like a dalek rather than it being some kind of crude amplification system because the you know the mutated larynx of 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 the of the dalek creature is incapable of projecting and enunciating the way a a, a humanoid could um but it's 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 the comic it's the slapstick right it's the it's the it's the kind of it's the imaginative appeal of having someone getting inside the dustbin and pretending to be one of these strange machines mhm well to be fair roy castle's not that big of a human being <laughs> well that's he's true, bigger than he's... susan but not much <laughs> and he yes yes but he's still he's still bigger than the 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 dalek machine I think the thing about it is the movie really, really goes big on all that stuff and where it does add things in. And, you know, when you've got 80 minutes running time to, to crown a serial of this length, do you really want to spend 10 minutes looking at Roy Castle trying to open a door? Well, apparently cinema audiences did. It's called tension. But I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I, th- I, I think it's supposed to be comedy. Oh, that was oh, my yeah. guess. Oh, well, I guess. <laughs> Which door? <laughs> where, the, the one where he's sit, sitting on the pad and gets up and the door... Oh, that one, that one. I was thinking when puzzled. he was trying to get out of the elevator. Okay. <laughs> but yes, you're right. You're right. Or the door to I don't, Doctor Who's house. Or, yeah. The, the, the thing is, almost all the kind of memorable scenes in the story are there, but in a very sort of truncated form. And actually, because because this is very much connected to the serial i decided i would i would rewatch the serial to see what was what was there and what wasn't and what was in one and not the other and wow. they managed to get pretty much all of the plot into <laughs> the 80 minutes i think <laughs> they've managed to get absolutely none of the charm and the interest. And, and here's the thing, all those criticisms about the Dalek story, you know, that was me thinking, you know, it's got this, it's got this awful kind of, um, this nonsense with getting inside a Dalek machine and pretending to be a Dalek. And then there's a whole load of it where there just re- aren't really any Daleks because it's all the swamp stuff and the cave stuff and the trying to get into the city for about three episodes. And you rewatch it and actually all of that stuff is brilliant it's because what's great about the bbc version of this story is that even though they were doing this on an absolute shoestring and you know when you look at the film budget you don't think that's so much but compared to what the bbc had it must have been a king's ransom and yet the 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 design and the photography and the direction in the bbc serial is superb and the cast absolutely act their socks off i mean i just forget how damn good these people are and then you look at the film and the 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 design is horrible it's you know it's it's full technicolor and all the rest of it what have they done with it they it's it's garish garish colors it's it's uh nasty looking model shots the 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 there's no 
you know there's 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 guilt instead of style there's there's none of the there's none of the imaginative photography the acting and i'll come back to some of the individual performances but god almighty it's terrible <laughs> and you know i love peter cushing but wow this is just awful and the changes that they've made in terms of the writing make almost no sense i mean either they don't make any sense at all or you just think well there's some kind of internal logic to that but why did they think it was a good idea because the change they've made is a massive downgrade okay so let's take a couple of thoughts here on this there i don't know if this is a phenomenon in britain but in the united states uh there have been at least when i was a kid movies and tv shows that you know so if a movie comes out or a tv show comes out and then and somebody writes a a novelization of it right <clears throat> sometimes the novelizations well, i know you have these in britain i'm that, that's not what i'm getting to um but then also Sometimes, if the property has an appeal to children in some way, they would make really short kid books, maybe even illustrated from those stories. And they would absolutely truncate the heck of them down and, and simplify things and perhaps make things a little brighter or a little more comedy. And that's exactly what this film reminds me of. This is one of those kid books turned back into a movie. So you take something that was aimed, at, you know, at a, at a, I don't want to say an adult audience, but at a, at a reasonably intelligent audience, and then you decide it needs to be dumbed down for a book, and then somebody says, that'd make a great movie, and then turns it back into a film. It, it's kind of the feel I get out of this. Um, it, it hits is, the it, beats, it, it, but it just isn't... Yes you know, at the same audience and, and at the same uh, level of engage, you know, it's not trying to hit the same buttons of, and I, I'm not trying to put this it's, intellectual. I think, I think you're right. It's, well, you know, it's, it's meant, it's it's not, meant it's to be a broader audience. The it's supposed audience to be funnier. Level of respect. It's supposed to be funnier. It's supposed to appeal to a broader audience. It's supposed to appeal to, uh, and, and, you know, the, these are misjudged um, things. Now, now some of the things like, doctor who instead of the doctor and changing characters i wouldn't be surprised if this isn't something to do with the bizarre bizarre to me bizarre to the way i understand it works in the united states way of rights and copyright ownership that you have in britain so when you know, when you write a TV series in the United States, if in episode two, writer John Smith develops a particular character, he didn't own that character. The The series owns it. The, whoever well, it depends is depends on the contract. Well, the contracts don't give it if, over if, here. Right. But, but you know, to have yeah, no, Terry well, Nation own the Daleks if, if you're is on staff, crazy. If you're a staff BBC writer and you create something, it, it's it's because you're salaried to the BBC. If you're a freelancer on a contract, I think this is a massive oversimplification, but um, then your contract may leave you with the rights to the character. Mm-hmm. Hence the fact that Terry Nation, who wrote the serial The Daleks, retained ownership of the Daleks. He owns the story and he owns the Daleks, but he does not own the Doctor and the format of the BBC series. And so, it you know, hitting the things that Nation owns, the Daleks and the plot points, makes sense. Changing them... I don't... I think has a little to do, you know, not wanting it to be a continuing thing anyway, but... I think there's something. I think there's something there. I think that's part of the reason these I, I, things well, have I changed. St- I, I, w- I want evidence for this because I'm I'm skeptical. The 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 that it's 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 a strange set of choices. What has and hasn't been kept here, um, and and I I really really I I can't tell you how much I've reevaluated the the TV serial, which is so much better than I realised because it's darker and it's it it does although it's a you know it's it's a kids show it's treating its audience with a huge amount more respect than this 
But yes, they're going for something slightly different in this. And I think that's what lies behind the changes they've made because there's no way they can have made this Doctor Who slightly different spelling or changes to the background of the character to avoid copyright. It's not enough. But nor, but it, but nor is it, nor is it, even if they made those changes possible, they could have done this without cooperation from the BBC because they have used the Dalek design, which isn't owned by Terry Nation. So there has to have been a deal done for that as well. I think, although I, t- I mean, I take your point that the the creation of the the Doctor and Ian and Susan and Barbara. Ian and Barbara's teachers and all the rest of it does come from another writer's story. I think that they have simply decided that their version is better, that they would they would rather the Doctor is not a mysterious alien. He's just a, a kooky human inventor. And He's very British. I mean, that's, that's Ian, a very British stereotype, uh, the British sh- eccentric inventor. I mean, looking at... Um, uh, Cavor in uh, First Man in the Moon and that sort of mould that we have. Yes, I get that. may aimed but... at a different market, like the Americans. It, well, it, I'm sure it was, because that was obviously a disappointment of this film, the fact, the fact that it didn't work over your side of the pond. Um, because to, you know, to somewhat to my shame, the Brits all flocked to the cinema to watch this shite, but... The, <laughs> <laughs> the you know the the ch- those changes that they made were probably expedient in getting into the story because in a way they've got to remake an unearthly child to intro- they've got to introduce the doctor and his companions and the whole time space machine setup and i i mean i think an unearthly child is it 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 remains one of the absolute best Doctor Who stories. It's, I watch it every year, and it, I'm still astounded by how good it is. Um, You're talking about just the part one on an earthly child, ju- not... just yeah, just the just the just that 25 minutes of, of setup with with Ian and Barbara as as the as the nosy teachers going and investigating this this girl who uh, who appears to be you know, she doesn't have anyone looking after her, and she doesn't appear to be properly looked after in a you know in a normal household and and this very mysterious home life and and the background to this is of course that she is herself terribly alien which you know caroline ford is just is 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 brilliant at and and the alienness is also you know although hartnell is the least favorite of my doctors it's the essence of his performance and 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 Cushing as this as this human doctor who just happens to have somehow come up with this time and space machine has none of the kind of alienness or 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 darkness the the non-humanness of Hartnell. He's if anything because in in one of the pleasures of the of the serial is that there is this kind of um, this there's still this tension existing between the teachers who absolutely don't trust the doctor and the doctor himself who is this mischievous and uh kind of um arrogance not quite the word i'm looking for but but um he 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 has a certain amount of disdain for mm. you know mm-hmm. these these hu- these Primitive. humans it, it takes Yes, he takes it takes a, a while to even warm up to them. So, that, so there's this this fantastic tension going on, and the Doctor, by by faking the oh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. failure of the fluid link, <laughs> does something really pretty terrible because he, he wait, 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 he wait, risks wait, wait. everyone's lives. Wait, 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 wait. I wanted to talk about that in the serial. Okay, I, I want you. To, I want since you just watched it, I want you to tell mm. me because it sounds like you just contradicted what I thought. My impression was that in the serial, he did not fake the the damage to the fluid link. He did damage the fluid link. He did put their lives in jeopardy to achieve this goal. He drained the mercury out or whatever he did. He actually destroyed the component. I, As opposed to I in this, may- where it's very clear that he only pretended 
to damage the component, which you is a big difference. Right. You may you may be right, although if so, there is a continuity error because in episode seven, Ian just picks up the fluid link and they go back to the TARDIS without looking for it. Oh, for mercury. mercury. Unless unless at some unless at some point there, there was some way of of repairing it. But I, I I'm not actually sure that makes any difference. The point is. By the time they're prisoners of the Daleks, they have radiation poisoning and they're highly likely to be exterminated. And that's in that is consistent with the the kind of the Hartnell doctor. He is like he is a a man of mischief and he is he, he has little he has little value for the lives of his companions. He does value Susan's life, and I'm sure he feels guilty for putting her in danger, but he you know he is not a he's not a responsible man he's not a good man and that's the opposite of cushing's performance although it struck me actually in a in a slightly different way than i think you must have uh, viewed this what cushing does is actually although they don't dwell on it and there are no repercussions for it is much more manipulative because he lets ian try to launch the TARDIS knowing full well that he has sabotaged it and that it won't do anything. So where where Hartnell does it as an almost a spur of the moment thing, he says, oh, the fluid link is damaged. We can't possibly launch the TARDIS. Cushing has done this premeditated thing of hmm. basically sabotaging the machine, going through this charade of letting them think that they are going to go back to to London and safety, but in fact, knowing all along that there is no way they can that that can happen, and pretending then to 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 be surprised by it, and that you know they oh. he, he comes up with the solution, and oh, isn't you know isn't he good for doing that? So ah, you're right. I think it's I I see it different. So. And I'd have to go back and watch again to make sure, but I think that he quote unquote sabotages the fluid link before the thaws knock on the door. Would that be a? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, I think okay. so. So at the point that he quote unquote sabotages it, the planet is dead. There's a there's a city. They don't see anybody in the city. They think the planet is dead. They want to go take a look at it. I'm not saying it's reasonable to assume that there is no life on this planet, but but on the other hand, it kind of looks like there's no life on this planet. And so staying around for a few more hours to do a little more sightseeing isn't all that risky or, or wouldn't Don't try to be all that justify risky. it. No, 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 I'm not trying to justify it. I, well, I am. I'm not trying to justify that. He's, when he, I'm saying, he, he lies. Is, he lies. lies. He's, he's completely manipulative. But is, it, he, 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 he decides to take a risk with their lives. It's, it's not. And, and he not hasn't the done same due risk. diligence because he's wrong. If the it's other doctor, if the real doctor did damage the fluid link, truly damage the fluid link, leaving them stuck there without the fluid then he's taken a much greater gamble on the assumption that he would be able to repair the TARDIS. And that seems like far more reckless and dangerous thing to do to me. Now, if he well, didn't let, well, actually no, damage it, that's going to be... Cushing doesn't come clean. He could The Thal knocks on the door. Actually, you know what? Oh, Maybe look, we, I, I found I, another I fluid just, link. Yeah, I've, yeah, I found another fluid link. Or, oh, this was loose or whatever. He could, he could cover that up and... and uh, and it never be known what he'd done. Or, in fact, he could come clean and say, oh, well, I, you know, when there was no risk, I, I was going to manipulate you in this way. But as it turns out, maybe you're right. There are any number of ways that he could have... I'm not saying I, either is good. I just kind of think one is more risky than the other. They both end up to the same level of risk, except for if the fluid link is truly damaged, there is both the risk of going out there and the risk of not being able to get the fluid link sick, as opposed to the risk of no, I, manipulating I, 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 them and going out to find it. And the doctor, I, either way, the other doctor is doing the same manipulation to get them to go out and do what he wants. So, I mean, it, it's it's bad. I just think it's interesting that they made it very clear that it's really not damaged in this one. So that it seems more more like a harmless deception as opposed to a potentially harmful deception. 
it, I think it isn't. Very keen. But I, I, right. No, I agree. I agree on that because I think they are very keen to indicate that there are no. It, it's part of the. It's part of mitigating the darkness of the of the actual story. They are very keen to indicate that there are no really bad things happening. So the obvious one is that when Thingamius, whatever his name is, I, I get Terry Nation names completely mixed up, but whoever Except it is, for Tarrant. The, Tarrant is the easiest the, one to remember. He ter- always has a Tarrant. There wasn't a Tarrant in this, was I know. There, there wasn't. Astonishing. Um, the, the, the one who, the one who uh, decides he wants to turn back cuts oh, himself yeah. from the rope yeah. that is tied to Ian. And then in the film miraculously lands on a on a, an outcrop from which he can eat for which he can rapidly uh, crawl back up and everyone is oh thank goodness that's all fine i mean that was that was the most uh, that was the most egregious example of it in the film but all the, all the way through i think there is there is a a, a kind of um, at, at worst the you know the doctor seems ineffectual so another another example is when ian gets stuck inside the dalek casing a little bit of irritating nonsense supposed to build tension whatever but from the point of view of the serial it does create a lovely moment where the doctor takes susan and barbara and in you know in fairness at at ian's uh, urging but he doesn't need much persuading he takes them to safety because he can see that Ian is toast, basically. And, you know, it's only a couple of episodes since he was ready to bash a caveman on the head. So that's very much consistent. Whereas they don't play it that way in the film. It's much more like they're they're happy for him to just be this ineffectual, doddery old man rather than this rather cunning and ruthless old man. And it 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 basically reduces the doctor, I think. It it the doctor just becomes this kind of cuddly grandpa who saves the day basically okay. I'll, I'll, he's, he's he's the magic ground he's the he's the jeremy corbyn of doctor who i'll put this out there then who is the star of this film i mean bigger peter cushing obviously had top oh, billing because of the biggest name it's cushing but but it's cushing really not i mean <sighs> no 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 i, I it, it definitely is cushing because so watch watch the serial and Ian Another is thing that becomes apparent, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's William Russell, and 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 you know he's flipping amazing. I mean, the scene where he's clinging to that rope ledge, which you know is you know six inches off the studio ground or whatever, he's giving it everything. Now, in in the film, where where you have um, so uh, oh, let's think, there's there's um, the, the, there's this there's the speech where Ian where where one of one of the Thals asks why why do the Daleks want to kill us and Ian basically explains because they're fascists they you know they they hate people who are different from them and and in the film the Thals ask the question Peter Cushing gets to give the answer worse still when they're having the 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 big and really rather interesting discussion about pacifism with the Thals and uh, and they decide to to solve it in the somewhat sexist way of appealing to the Thals chauvinism it's Ian who comes up with that idea and he you know he puts he puts his chin in the line of a Thals fist in in aid of everyone's mutual benefit but in the film it's got to be Cushing who comes up with the clever idea, even though it's still Ian's chin that's in the firing line. Okay, now wait a minute. I, I, I mean, yes, obviously, there, there's, there's absolutely no doubt. Peter Cushing, the big star, has the top billing, name in the name of the episode along with the Daleks. What my point was is that when you're watching the Daleks, it's very clear that Ian is the hero. He's the agency the Doctor is a plot complication, such as destroying the fluid link, and he's also a resource. Um, but in this, even though Cushing gets the lines, and his agency is not at the same level 
as as no. Ian's was, and and it diffuses this across this. It it just doesn't really seem like Cushing is getting this the 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 full. I'm the star of the film treatment, but as you say, all of the stuff is kind of given to him. It's it's done in such an ineffectual and kind of diffuse way that it just. It but that's loses because the essence, the essence of the essence of the story is written around Ian as the hero, and and you're I mean you're absolutely right. The changes that they have made dim, diminish that and therefore diminish the film because you can't just switch the hero without rewriting the story properly and they haven't done that so I, I i agree but that's the problem with the character changes that they've made because ian is is no longer the 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 concerned teacher and young hero he's he's the the he's the light relief the comedy boyfriend and I mean, I, I I think to an extent it suffers from the changes to to the character of all of them. We, you know, Cushing has been made into cuddly grandpa, so that diminishes his character. Susan, and I mean, Roberta Tovey gives a you know a reasonable performance in the role, but she's no longer the interesting alien. She no longer has the kind of same passionate connection with the Thals, and the, the, the she's no longer quite as riled up by the injustice she's more someone who is there for cushing to protect and making her younger switches that too yes yes exactly exactly so and barbara doesn't get to take that place barbara gets nothing no but i mean barbara is absolutely a nothing in this and she's she's supposed to be the the doctor he's not the doctor is he he's supposed to be doctor who's (laughs) the number of times you've said that in the God, it just jars me so much. But okay, he, she is Doctor Who's granddaughter as well, and yet there is zero chemistry between them. Uh-huh. I mean, there is this mystery. There's, there is this. There is this mild curiosity in a junkyard, which comes about from why is this girl living inside a police box inside a junkyard, and who with, and all the rest of it. And instead of that, we have a setup where. The young girl is being looked after by her grandfather on his own, and it's maybe not as unusual, but it's still, it still it it begs the question of well, how's that come about? Uh, you know, are they the on their own? On, on their own? Well, is is the is do you think there's a, a Mrs. Who? who or just there might be is in the kitchen for the whole thing. Daughter or her, his son, and they were just you know off doing something that night. I mean, we only see their home life for a very short period of time. Before well, they it's hop just in the TARDIS that it, yeah. there's no reference to it. I mean, obviously, there's 80 minutes, not something you want to spend time on. But it just and 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 yeah, the character of the character of Barbara is nothing. And God, Jacqueline Hill in this serial is again, you know, she's just superb. And also, goodness me, in uh, in Thal trousers, wow! Uh, I I I I keep I keep forgetting when when. Uh, um, the stars turn up in their costumes, which there is still slightly odd in the in the TV serial, but nothing as bad as the kind of nylon hair in the film. Why the style trousers? I kind of think oh, something interesting. That I remember it's because come episode four, Barbara's going to be wearing a pair, and boy oh boy, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. So <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since I watched the Daleks. I have to say. Um... The, the the other thing the other thing about while we're while we're on the things that they've changed in the story, um, but which they 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 make it they make changes and they don't they don't make sense. The the really egregious one I think you've alluded to it in your synopsis, and it bugged me for just pretty much the whole film because I thought surely surely they're not just going to leave that this thing in Doctor Who's uh, Doctor Who's yard, mm. which is somehow bigger on the inside than the outside, is in the shape of a police box. Mm-hmm. It's what he had handy. Why? <laughs> because <laughs> li- because literally think think about all of the all of the things that they could have had from the TV series that they've discarded. There's the theme music. Mm. There's 
the the whole okay we don't know about Gallifrey and the time laws but the, there's the whole alien thing there's the there's the iconic TARDIS interior and again all the kind of design stuff well of all of that the what what the BBC did with the BBC owns the, the inside of the TARDIS the, the but they did not on the outside well it just makes time. no sense they they clearly thought that the interior of the TARDIS that they had created was superior and it's just awful or cheaper because they didn't have to license that from the bbc right bbc well, didn't maybe, own the license I... on the shape of a, a police box in 1960 whatever that that came much later after police boxes were completely gone and then the bbc snatched up that whether i don't know it's a trademark or or whatever it is but back then police box police box anybody could have used it inside bbc design copyright I think it's I think it's just that, and also you know color, doodads, widescreen. Yeah, but it it's not as good. I agree. I don't know. It, we we have seen it, we've seen now recreations of the the original TARDIS on color in widescreen, and they look pretty tasty. I think you know they might have had to build their own thing, but I just don't think they had the designers on this because I think I think you see that from the the design of the Dalek city it's 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 garish uh you know the the the, the all, all of the the cameras and everything they 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 look bad the whole thing just looks bad it looks bad it is bad i really it's not it's not practical okay not practical i'm going to admit this right now and i do have a i have a dislike of science fiction design that makes no sense like my constant rant about weird shaped doors you know what's wrong with a rectangular door <laughs> i don't know what well, because but but here because, but it's the, because the, Dar- the city of the daleks in the daleks has these weird shaped corridors right. and i'm not picking on no, are... i'm not picking on the doors in this one that, that that's not what i'm getting at that that's okay. just something that every okay. you go to battlestar galactica you go to all these shows babylon 5 they just put the weirdest shape damn doors to make it look spacey it makes sense if your alien race looks like a a teepee right that maybe your doors would be kind of angular shaped like that because that's well i think it looks like there's in in the daleks it It, looks like there is an engineering reason for the shape of those doors i agree and then i'm not i guess i'm not picking on their doors what i'm saying though is that normally i hate it when they put something stupidly impractical in a show from the design standpoint just because they think it looks cool and but in this, they had one thing that every time I saw it, I thought, I really, really like that design. It's stupid, but I really like it. And that was the rotating command console in the Dalek headquarters. The big sort of, I don't know whether it was a hexagon or whatever shape, like oh, the yeah. old styles, yeah. clocks, and turned around for different displays. I thought, that is imaginative and maybe it makes sense if you're a shorter creature and you're kind of looking up. I'm not 100% sure there, but I, but I liked it every time I saw it. I thought, okay, that's definitely different, whether or not it has any practical value or, you know, the cords would get twisted up as you're running around anyway. But unless they had wireless technology back there. But, but, but nonetheless, uh, other than that, yeah, I kind of agree. The design was generally... They had lava lamps in it, for goodness sake. Oh, yeah, well, you got to have lava lamps. It's the 60s. Um, and yeah. the thals, the thals just, they were, they look awful. I did have a hard time saying beautiful in the, uh, in the description. I, I know the thals are supposed to be golden, beautiful people. They are very comical. But not with plastic hair. They are very comical in this. Um, and and they, they, the level of acting was just dire. Goodness me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't. I know they might great. not have wanted to show up the leads, but there's yes, there's <laughs> no risk. I, I think it's this wooden. It's tough to act in that makeup. That's all. <laughs> it's just tough to act in that makeup. That, that must be what it is. Uh, let's see. What else have we got? Uh... Well, there are a few plot differences, and they're quite minor. But I, I'm quite interested in them because, obviously, the, as we've said, the plot follows it um, beat by beat. So why did they change them? So one thing is, and I, I think I'm right about this, in the Daleks, I don't think at any point the Daleks 
make as an aspiration that they want to leave their travel machines. Now, I may have missed I think... something. I would have to rewatch it again because I watched the, the film afterwards, almost after watching most of it. But in the film, they make at least two references uh-huh. to to that. In in fairness, it it's a reason for taking the anti-radiation drug. So maybe that fixes something because then, you know, the whole point about the way they are, that is at least as it is set up in the kind of post, post-Genesis um, history of Scaro, is, is to do with um, being able to survive in, a, in an irradiated environment. But I think that uh, you kind of mentioned it earlier in the discussion. I mean, we, you know, it's very hard to come to the Daleks without thinking of the Daleks as they are now. So, you know, going back and looking at, say, Capaldi's Into the Dalek, where we get in there and, we, and you know, these two are fused man, beast and machine uh, yes. sensory inputs. I don't think even back into the Daleks in the original story, I think they were supposed to be little machines that uh, that a little mutated creature was sitting in and working controls. I don't I don't think they were supposed to be wired into those machines quite as integrally as, you know, we know them to be now. No, no. And that's so, right. you know, getting into the Dalek machine, yes, it's too small based on the size of the thing you got out. I did put no, it's, it in it's my more, re- it's more the aspiration, the idea that they ever could I put that in my recap because it was kind of obvious about the whole aspiration to get out of the machine. My recollection was that their aspiration was to get out of the city in the original series. Oh, yes. Yes. As but opposed you, to you, yeah, hopping out of the machine. You assume that they want to do that within their within their machines that provide all their life support and guns and all the rest. But the life support being to protect them from the environment that they that they're trapped in. So, I mean, I can, yes, I can yes. see that as a, a, an aspiration, especially given the notion that the Daleks think that they're pretty normal and that the Thals are hideous mutations. <laughs> right. I mean, that's from the original Daleks too, as I recall. So, you know, the Daleks think we're just normal people sitting in these protective suits. I can see thinking maybe, you know, once we get everything back under control, we kill off all the others. We can hop out and start having dances again and whatever. But um, I, I think, but I, think, I don't recall I it's explicit. Them, there is this yeah. nonsense of the, of, of the having been, they've mutated the Thals. They both used to look like the Thals and they've mutated and Full circle. the cells have mutated back somehow, which is kind of, you know, the uh, the stupid science stick does come out in force in certain. But the, the parts, form you know, the of sta- two the hands static electricity and two legs, is, you know, the, the two hands, two legs. That's obviously the most efficient form for survival. So, I mean, clearly, that's where we got. <laughs> I love that speech. That, I think that I think that's just the film, um, as far as I remember, but. I think that is. Yes, I think that is. Um, I think the Thals, didn't the Thals think they were hideously mutated too? Or is I getting that from a Twilight Zone or something in the serial? Weren't they embarrassed Did by they what they look they like? Even... No, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I, I could be wrong there. That, that's, that's probably it is, it's definitely the case else. the Daleks refer to the Thals as being mutations. But um, I, I, I'm never quite sure whether the... Thals know what the Daleks look like because in the earlier scenes it it there's nothing there's nothing in what they say that indicates that they have any sense of the Daleks as being these kind of machine creatures and the the doctor and his companions don't really explain that at least on camera and then when the, the Thals turn up they don't appear to be terribly surprised by what the Daleks look like but then on the other hand they're busy being exterminated so they might think that takes priority. I don't know. What do you think of the CO2 canister guns that the Daleks have? Oh, yeah. Again, I mean, it comes back to partly design because the the Dalek gun effect in the TV series is so 
clever and so iconic and also really cheap. And especially back in the Daleks, yeah. The the um I think that the film was supposed to be flamethrowers. Yes. Rather than fire extinguishers. Apparently that was too um, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, who'd have thought it? <laughs> But but also I think I also apparently there was an element of again it being too horrific so again yes. they're toning it down so one way or another it's 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 you know it's it's the lack of imagination compared with the the kind of namby pamby version of the story that is just a it, it's a it's a massive downgrade I mean apparently there are other there are other well there's the there's the kind of jar opening attachment that some of the Daleks have that is a bit rubbish um but there are other there are other design differences within the daleks but they're not major design differences i don't think because apparently the daleks in this film first appeared in the chase in the chase yeah that was made after the film but for which the bbc hired the props from the film and sh- and then because the their schedule was much faster broadcast before the film got released in cinemas yeah but you couldn't tell because they were black and white <laughs> yeah you certainly didn't get the, the sorry those colors do we know if those daleks the scenes with those daleks survived from the missing episodes the chase i, I don't know the answer isn't to entire that. right or is the chase entirely no, there, there? no uh, no no the chase is the chase entirely there? i don't know I don't it's know the dalek sure. master plan that's not dalek master plan is definitely not no, the chase must be. exist. That's where that's where Ian and Barbara leave, isn't it? Yes, it is. It exists. The, the, I mean, there must are exist. both both serial both serials. There are episodes that exist. I think probably with the chase, it's all of them. I think I check. think it is all of them now that now that you mention it. So I'd be interested to go back and watch that and figure out where those Daleks are in that story. I do think you know this does point out. Yes, the Daleks are kind of me in this but the daleks are kind of meh in the daleks too they're not very bright they're they're clearly <laughs> they're um you know outside the city they're no threat at all if they didn't have a nuclear bomb um and it, and it is well, I, just, I, I, it is just all the changes that they've made over the years because the daleks were popular i really wish they'd never gotten off this planet Frankly, I mean, I know it, it's probably what made oh, Doctor Who last, but I, I wish I don't agree. This had been the end of them. Um, I, 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 I think that I think the reason that I had a poor view of this as a serial was because I was coming to it when I watched it on previous occasions as a as a thinking about it as a Dalek story. And you're right; it's not a very good Dalek story, but. The point we started with is that this is what launched Dalek Mania. This is why the film is based on this story, because the cinema goers are going to the cinema from Dalek Mania. And it's purely that concept and that, you know, that design, seeing that, that that's enough. It, do, it doesn't have to be any better than that. And then for there to be good sequels, it does have to be better than that. And for the for the Daleks to have any longevity, they have to be brought back in stories that improve on it. I think the Dalek invasion of Earth is an extremely good story, and it is reason in itself why it was worth their leaving Scarlow. And then obviously there are there are later stories such as Genesis that are that are also significantly better than than the Daleks as a Dalek story. So. I, you've you've almost I, named I, all of them, though. <laughs> almost that are better. <laughs> I, there are others, um, but mostly they're twenty first century ones. the 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 thing is that I I think that this this story viewed as a Dalek story is not in in terms of Dalek stories is not the best story, but. In order to appreciate why it had the impact it did, you have to imagine a world where no one had ever seen a Dalek. Well, that's what happened when they took it to America, and hmm. <clears throat> didn't fly. Yeah. <laughs> Did not fly. Uh, so... No, they, they don't. They don't fly until uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, I believe. I re- 
Sorry. Yeah. Uh, they uh, were planning on making, I guess they'd purchased, even though the stories didn't necessarily exist, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the timeline here, but they were planning on making this and two sequels to this story. Yes. Um, so obviously Dalek Invasion Earth is one of them. And what would the other have been? I I don't know. Would it have been the chase? I don't know. Well, the Dalek master plan must have come before the chase. I don't, I don't think it was the Dalek master plan. Didn't the... Oh, no, no, you're right. You're right. The Dalek master plan was Stephen and... Uh, Stephen and um, Froyo or Dodo or someone. Um, and Stephen is introduced in the chase. That's his first... Yeah, twice. Twice. As a cowboy, too, isn't he? Well, that's... <laughs> it depends whether you're talking about Same Peter Travis or Stephen. He's the he's the cowboy on the Empire State Building. Yes, but that's not Stephen. Right, right, right. Um, so if that was the plan, why do they end it with the Romans? Cliffhanger, cliffhanger. I really, I know it's there to give Roy Castle more opportunity to show some of his brilliant comic genius. Um, uh... <laughs> Wow, I, I said that How well do you my brain it? just Where went. Would... I don't know. I, I <laughs> That's guess... not right, is it? I mean, Roy, you have Roy Castle in it doing all the flipping Who is Roy stuff. Castle? Why did he not bring his trumpet? That's what I want to know. Who is he? We could have had, we could have, he should have ended it by playing record breakers on the trumpet. Who is Roy Castle? Yeah, is okay, he a musician? I guess certain things haven't crossed the channel. We had a, we had a show um, which featured people every week trying to break very silly records for, you know, the most number of people to stand in a yoghurt pot or something. Okay. They they obviously had to, they had to come up with records to break each week. Um, Roy Castle uh, presented it and uh, that's pretty much the main thing that he is famous for. Over is that before this? No, it'd be after. After this, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd done some other, done some other acting in this, this kind of thing. But he, he could play. He always played the trumpet. Um, he played the theme tune to Record Breakers. Hmm. It was great. It was great. He was, he was very good at it. The trumpet, but, or hosting. No, the yeah, the whole, the whole. Oh, he's okay. you know, he's a very, very kind of entertaining personality. I just think he was poorly served by what he was given to do here. And, you, and it, it, it was not necessarily who I would have cast in the role of Ian. I mean, the question arises, why on earth didn't they cast William Russell and then William Hartnell? I mean, apparently Hartnell was really, really pissed off that they made a film with someone else playing his role, oh. as I think I can fully understand. I, I yeah, I can... I can kind of see that, although, you know, you are creating... Hartnell had done dozens of, of films, films at this point. Very yeah, no, I, I didn't think he was... I didn't mean you know, in any way that he was not capable of doing the job or anything of that sort. It's just, like, I can understand why the producers want to make it as clean as they can while still capitalizing on what they can. And, uh, again, you take it overseas... I mean, Peter Cushing has done... S- such good work he's yeah i agree he's so good and he's awful in this he's just dire it it's it's not good it it isn't good and i i agree i love peter cushing i've seen peter cushing even in roles i wouldn't say exactly like this but i've seen peter cushing in roles a little bit like this and he's perfectly good at it but this one is just and he can way over the top as well i mean that's the thing yeah 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 so I don't know, but I guess I would where I would have ended it. I think that if if I were doing this, uh, I would have either had them step out in the backyard of the house, or I would have not shown what was outside the door when he opened it. That just open the door and fade out, because if they knew they were going to be making another Dalek story as the sequel, which apparently they did that they were making Dalek movies, why throw this red herring that's never going to come to fruition 
out there. Okay, it's a cliffhanger. Well, it's a cliffhanger we're not going to see the end of. And I know Stephen Moffat loves to do that. I'm sure that in the next episode, the first thing they're going to say is, Whew, thank goodness we got away from those Roman soldiers. Ha ha. Well, but still. One, oh, you cannot blame Stephen Moffat for this film. I am not in, blaming Stephen Moffat for this film, but I can see that. In fact, you know, Stephen maybe Moffat that's did where he got the idea from. But he did, so, he did something quite nice with this film. I mean, if you're going to acknowledge the existence of the film, in are the, you saying that he the created the new paradigm Daleks? No, no, oh. no. I, although I wonder if they were inspired by the lurid Daleks in this. In the novelization of, of Day of the Doctor, Moffat has uh, Kate Stewart explained to C- Clara that the Peter Cushing Doctor Who movies were based on the Doctor's exploits and that Peter Cushing was actually a friend of the Doctor to whom he lent a coat. So I, th- I think if you're going to have this kind of parallel non-canon, so it's quite a neat little explanation for it. Although it is going to get somewhat circular at some point because the film does credit Terry Nation and... Terry Nation obviously did write for a TV series of Doctor Who, but um, maybe well, no worse you know. than in Remembrance of the Daleks when the continuity announcer comes on the telly. Well, perhaps the uh, perhaps it's uh, you know instead of in, in the real Doctor Who universe, perhaps the writers of the film were inspired by Ian and Barbara telling their tales because they would have been part of both of them. So. You know, maybe they're the writers. Maybe, maybe Barbara did that. She seems like a writer. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well, no, it would have been it would have been it would have been Peter Cushing telling telling. I guess it could have been Peter Cushing. Yeah, what, what, I suppose. what his mate, the Doctor, had been up to. So then, well, yeah, huh? Makes you wonder which I, Doctor was his friend. Hmm. Good it question. might not be Hartnell. Who? Who? Well, who would have who would have suited the coat that That's he was wearing? A, it's more of a Pertwee, isn't it? But is, oh, isn't know. it a velvety? But that's I mean, that's kind of quite Hartnell stroke McGann, isn't it? Maybe it's McGann. <laughs> that could be, kind be. Of funny. Pity, pity we haven't After got to read uh, the novelization. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know that I have anything else. I mean, I have the threat to hang over that we are going to look at the Dalek invasion film, <laughs> uh, which uh, you know I'm sure gets the entire group back together for more adventures. In space and time. Being this filmed only one year later. Yeah. I mean, obviously, all the same actors will be available for that. Clearly. Of course they will. Because they could have, that ending, they could have set it up, opening the doors of the of the TARDIS onto the the burnt out city. That would have been quite... See, they could have done that. Or they were going to do the sequel. You, you, you could have made it their backyard burnt out. Yeah, you know, that you, would have you been You step out in their yard and then, and like, it's a identify. ruin. I can't remember what their yard looked like, and I only watched the film two days ago. Well, but you would have at but, the end of the film, when they stepped back out, you would have recognized the same yeah, location right. if they just overgrown and put some crumbled walls around it or something, and then ended the film there. Um, but, but then it would have just looked like they'd had a house fire. It wouldn't have had the same... Could have been the Blitz. It wouldn't have had the same drama. I, I, well, yeah, but I, whatever. The blitz oh, yes, Ian climbing the walls was drama. Right, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> The the point is, it's Doctor Who. You have to end on a cliffhanger. Every episode ends on a cliffhanger. It's it's just as you say. The difference is, in the TV serials, they always lead into the next serial, whereas here, it it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. You know, they missed something. They missed something important. I say this with only a hint of flippancy. Roy Castles, Ian, when he saw the Romans should have run back into the TARDIS. And instead of trying to climb the walls, he should have leapt into the doctor's arms like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. <laughs> or, or, or Laurel and Hardy or something. That, 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 that would have fit the ending of this film. More, <laughs> more Certainly, yes. It's certain, it's, that's pretty much the characterization they were going for with Ian. Yeah. Uh, got nothing else on this. Unless, uh, unless you've got something. No, I'm, I'm done with it. <laughs> yeah, this will be your Christmas viewing from now on. Every year at Christmas, the two films back to back. No, that, that's it. I don't ever have to watch it again. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for joining me. 
It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, John and I will begin looking at the groundbreaking 1966 Japanese sci-fi fantasy teleseries Ultra Q, created by the legendary FX pioneer and creator of Godzilla, Eiji Tsuburaya. We'll be looking at the very first episode, Defeat Gomez. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol. <laughs>